Welcome to Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens with the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre, and through this series, we're bringing you a curated group of wonderful authors who all specialise in writing for children. Now, you'll discover as the podcast series rolls out that we're going to first hear from authors who specialise in picture books, then move on to writers of chapter books, then middle grade fiction, and then young adult books. Of course, some writers write across all these age groups. Finally, we also hear from publishers of children's books. So this is a wonderful overview of the whole industry. Download all of the episodes and you will get a wonderful library of everything that you need to know about writing children's books and books for young adults. This episode, you'll be hearing from Sue Whiting. Sue is an incredibly prolific writer and has written everything from novelty books, picture books, young adult, education, fiction and non-fiction. She also had a long stint as an editor in a publishing house, and before that, yes, there was a before all that, she was a schoolteacher. She's also a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre, where she teaches aspiring writers on how to write children's books. In this interview, Sue Whiting speaks to Alison Tate, who's also from the Australian Writers' Centre, and they talk about the education market versus the trade market. Basically, Sue was writing books and resources to specific briefs, rather than writing her own creative manuscripts. And of course, she was still writing on the side and sending her work out and getting her requisite pile of rejections, but Sue learnt a lot from her experience in the education market. I think sometimes writers don't realise how much they can learn from doing other sorts of writing. Yes, you want to write a best-selling thriller or a much-loved children's book, but you can also learn a lot from doing content writing, for example, or writing short stories. As Sue says, anything you can do in the beginning of your writing journey that helps you understand the craft is going to be a benefit. And make sure you stay tuned after the interview to discover how you can learn from Sue on how to write your own children's book or YA novel. Sue's been on both sides of publishing, so she has so much knowledge. I think you'll learn a lot from this interview. Sue Whiting started her working life as a primary school teacher with a special interest in literacy education and children's literature. In 2005, Sue left teaching to pursue a career in children's book publishing and until recently was the publishing manager for Walker Books Australia. She's also a successful children's author who has written picture books, chapter books and novels for teens. Most recently, her picture book Platypus, illustrated by Mark Jackson, was named a 2016 notable book by the Children's Book Council of Australia. Sue recently joined the Australian Writers' Centre as a Center. And now she joins us on our podcast today to talk about all the fun things about writing and not so fun things. So welcome today, Sue. Thanks, Alison. All right, so let's talk about... Good to be here. (laughs) Always good to be here. Let's talk about the beginnings. You began as a primary school teacher. When you left to go into publishing, were you already writing books as well? Yes, I was. I had... um had been writing probably for about five years and I think I got into publishing through writing. It wasn't something that I ever sought out. Um, I became an editor by extreme accident and um, ended up working for a very small press that was in, I had submitted some manuscripts to and they were just starting out. This is in very early days. 
and um, went from there to do some sort of freelance editing and it was really just a sideline. It was just sort of fell in my lap and I just sort of went with it because I thought anything that you do, particularly in that early part of your career, that helps you understand the business and understand writing um, more is, is of benefit. So that's why I started editing. And then um, the company that I had been doing some freelancing and some consulting for went bust. And... Um, twice actually, but that's a, it's a very long story. <laughs> when I went bust the second time, um, I thought, okay, that's it. You know, the you know, the world is speaking to me, the universe is speaking, and um, I should just concentrate on writing and and you know, forget about this editing caper. And at the same time, there was an ad at for Walker Books, um, who was starting their list in Australia and was looking for an editor. And I didn't see the ad because I wasn't looking. And I went off on tour, a writing tour for a week, and I came back and my inbox was full of all these different people who said, Sue, Walker Books are looking for an editor. You should apply. And, um, and I went, oh, okay. And it was past the, the date of, uh, for the applications. It had, had long gone. And I thought, oh, well, they won't want an application now anyway. But just because all these people have been emailing me, I'll just email off a query. And they came back and said, oh, no, if you put in your CV today, that'll be fine. Oh. And um, and that's so I did. I didn't even have a CV. I quickly whipped one out. Up, I was going out to lunch. <laughs> it was like eleven o'clock. I thought, oh, okay, quickly whip one in, put it in. Unless I then I have you know done the right thing by those people who cared enough to email me. Anyway, I, as you can work out, I got the job, and so my whole um, life turned around. So I left teaching and and headed off to um, a whole new world. And I feel really privileged actually having two careers. You know, to have. I was 25 years as a teacher and then to leave teaching and go into an office which was really um, such a different work environment and to have a whole you know, other career that I never had even thought about was really quite exciting and, and um, I felt really privileged to do so. Um, so what was the first, like when you, when you said that you'd been submitting manuscripts to the small press and stuff and that's how the editing had come out, yes. what, what was the first book you had published and how did that come about? Ah, well, the first book I had published um, was when I, you know, had started out and I was writing and sending things off and getting lots of rejections. I was totally clueless. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I knew nothing about the publishing industry at all. And I saw an ad. Um, I must have learned something because I, someone told me to, to join, you know, writers' groups and writers' centres. And I joined the New South Wales Writers' Centre and they had um, a publication that had some ads. And there was an ad for a company called The Book Company. Mm. And they were, they made novelty books and they were looking for a contract writer. Mm. And so I, again, I applied for that job. I had to write a hundred words on a, about a lion cub. And, um, lo and behold, I got the gig. And, um, I, which was a big shock because then the next thing I knew I had a brief and I was sitting at my desk and I had to, you know, write this story by Friday type thing. And, um, so I started off in a different way to a lot of writers. So I was writing for this novelty, um, book company for a couple of years. I probably wrote about 20, maybe even more. Um, different scripts for, for their novelty books. Wow. And so my very first book that was published with them was called Misty's Magic. I think Misty's it could magic. still be in print, actually. Yeah, about a fairy who lost her magic and had pop-ups and, and um, it was, you know, interesting. But that's how I got started. And it was a really good apprenticeship because um, I learned how to 
work with editors. I learned how to work to a deadline. I learned how to come up with lots of ideas and to think on my feet and lots of skills um, and to write, you know, to a very short, you know, word length, you know, to, and to get a story down in sometimes 200 words. And and so they were all really good skills to learn. It wasn't high literature. It wasn't the type of books I wanted to be writing in the future, but it was a great start. So were you at this stage while you're doing this contract work and writing Misty's Magic and other classics? Yes. Were you also... Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm Were you also um, <laughs> writing your own stuff? Were you, were, were you working on your own uh, manuscripts at that yes. time as well? Yes, I was. I was um, writing the, the things I thought I really wanted to write, uh, lots of picture books uh, that promptly got rejected. Uh, so, yes, I think what, during this time too, I started to write for the education market. So my next lot of books that sort of came out was with the education market. So, And that I found, because I was a teacher and I was a literacy teacher, they were, to me, sort of easy for want of a better word because nothing is ever easy in writing. But I felt like I really knew how what was needed in those books. Right. And so I wrote a lot of readers and chapter books for the education market. So... And, and I was doing that at the same time as writing for the book company. So that's because. And all the while dreaming. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, keep going. All the while dreaming of your own things. That's right. Of of writing, you know, a novel or a picture book for the trade market. That was sort of where I was hoping to get to one day. Yeah, because the education markets. Uh, it's uh, it's actually an area that I think that we should probably do um, an interview with because it's actually quite an interesting area of the children's. Uh, book market that yes. I think a lot of people overlook when they're starting out. They don't actually know how to get a, get into it or what's involved or anything like that. So I think that's um, that's a good idea, Sue. Thanks for that. I'll be I'll be chasing that. <laughs> um, all right. So you've done you've you've done quite a good apprenticeship here because you've done novelty books, you've done education market chapter books and readers. Yes. Tell me about the first book that you had published that was like this is a Sue Whiting book. Um, the first book that I had published uh, would be Battle of the Rats, which is was a Battle of the Rats. Yes, it was with uh, Koala Books, and it was a novel for eight to twelve year olds. And it was something. In fact, it was one of the first stories I started to write when I got the writing bug. And it was about a family that moved into a house infested with rats. And um, sadly, uh, my family and I had just moved into a house that was infested with rats. <laughs> Funnily Why enough, we still live you? there, but the rats are now gone, uh, um, mostly. Yeah, so I was drawing, obviously, as you are, mostly, you know, they come back occasionally. Um, but, you know, but it was terrible when we first moved into this particular house. We've rebuilt the house now, and it was um, quite an interesting um, part of our family history the, when we first moved here. And so I used a lot of that material, as you often do in your first novels and first books, um, used a lot of that material to write this story. And, and so I had been submitting to Koala Books for quite some time and um, I had submitted something and Kathy Tasker came back and said, you know, I can see some promise in your work. Can you send me a range of things? And um, I had actually sent her everything that I had written, so I didn't really have anything to, to send except I had the first, the, this Battle of the Rats that I had been working on. It wasn't finished. I just had a few chapters. And um, so I sent her that pretending that it was all finished just as a sample, and she came back and said, love it. Can I, you know, send me the rest? So then I got picky. <laughs> Oops. 
As you do. So that was my very first novel and oh. um, that was a really sweet moment, yeah. Great. All right, so um, is it difficult to be a writer when you're also publishing other people's work? Like in that, is it like difficult not to be distracted by what you're working on every day and what you're seeing around you and what's happening? I mean, how do you focus on, on what you're doing when you're also focusing on other people's projects? It is difficult and... Um, and it was, you know, something that you really... A lot of people do it, as you can... You know, there's lots of people who are editors and also writers. And I found at different periods over the 10 years that I was with Walker Books in particular that there were times when I, I couldn't write and there were times when I was was able to write. And But it was a, a real struggle because you had to find the, the space in... The creative space in your head for your own work alongside the creative space for all the other books that you're working on with other authors. And um, I found that writing daily, when I could get into the habit of writing daily, and I used to write on the train for quite a a lot of the time that I was working between sort of two stations, from Stanwell Park to to Sutherland, which was before it got too busy on the train. It was about 20 minutes, and every day that was my writing time. So I was squeezing in these tiny little spaces of time. And if I wrote daily, I found that I was able to have my work sit in my brain alongside all the other one, mm. you know, books I was working on with, in the same kind of way, so I could just pull it out and work on it um, at will. And that was the way that I wrote my young adult novel, Portraits of Selena. Just about the whole of that book was written in 20 minutes each morning on the train and bits and pieces on the weekend. But if I don't do that, it's really hard because you just, um, your brain is too cluttered from um, other things and, and, and other books and, and it, it, it becomes quite impossible. And I, that's one of the reasons that now, you know, recently I've just left Walker Books and even though I love that job and it was a fantastic um, place to work and, and I had, you know, very fond memories and it was a very hard decision for me. One of the reasons was that I found that after 10 years, I couldn't, I, I couldn't juggle it any longer. It was just mm-hmm. too hard and I had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. So I decided to have another life change and, um, and to put writing as number one. And is that scary? For a while. Terrifying. Yeah, I was going to say, because I I, I think it's like like when you're used to writing around things and fitting it in and 20-minute snatches and all that sort of stuff, now there you are and you've got a whole week ahead of you and you're sort of like, is that expanse of time kind of scary? Um, Well... When I was, you know, trying to imagine what it was going to be like, yes, it was scary. And because I haven't done it for a long time, there had been periods before I started Walker Books where I'd had some leave and different reasons why I was able to work in some blocks occasionally. But I hadn't really ever done it. And I always knew that I worked better under pressure. So there were some doubts there. But I think I've only, I'm only two weeks into my new world. But um, the... I'm loving having the time at the moment, and I think I've, I think from editing and working at a desk and working on you know big projects, and I've learned some really good discipline, and so I am able to sit at my desk for longer than when I would say teaching, because teaching is flitting around um, on the go all the time, and so so far it's such a luxury for me to be able to sit all day and concentrate on my own work that I'm loving it, but I am also a realist. I know it's going to it, you know, at 
the shine will run <laughs> wear off um, and it will get more and more um, difficult because I, you know, I know what, I've been writing long enough to know what it's like, but at the moment it's great. And I do have other things I have to do. I am doing some freelance editing and, and some presenting and tutoring, you know, on yes. with the writer centre and, and so forth. So, yes. and school visits. So I'm already feeling very busy and, and already um, feeling that I'm having to fit everything in, thinking, how on earth did I do it when I was. <laughs> Walk a book all day. I don't know how you did it, to be honest. But anyway, um, so all right. So, as a publisher, what what were you, yes. what did you look for in a book you wanted to publish? Like, what were you looking for in a manuscript? Yeah, it's it's another um, it's really hard question to answer, and I'm sure everyone um, says a similar thing. And you don't you always ask that question: What are you looking for? What are you looking for? And and you don't know until you read it, basically. And it's not that we were looking, you know, I'll be looking for a particular, sometimes I was looking for a particular genre, like I might be looking for fiction because we didn't have enough of that on our list or I might have been looking for non-fiction or something because there was a gap. Um, you know, we hadn't had many submissions for that. But generally speaking, it was just something that spoke to me as a reader. And, you know, there'll be manuscripts that you're reading you think, oh, I don't mind this, I like this, this might be okay, and you're sort of pondering. And that, you know, they may go ahead, they may fit your list, but the ones, there's others that you read, and as soon as you start reading, you know that this is it. This nice. is the one that you, you have to publish this. And it's just that feeling. I, you know, when you read a manuscript and you forget that it's a manuscript for a while, and you get so absorbed or it's just so unique and it's just really got you, that's when, you know, you, you know that that's the one. So it's it's voice, it's uniqueness, it's um it yeah you know, it's just that that X factor I suppose and um and you don't really know what it is until you read it. If you look at a couple of the books that I've um, published in recent years, there's um, Meg McKinley's A Single Stone, mm. and uh, I've been working with Meg for ten years, and so I've sort of been um, from her very first book, and even her very first book, it was the voice of that book that. That got me with that, and um, it was just a, a beautiful, unique, different voice, and um, a single stone. From the moment she started working on that, I always knew that this was just—you just could tell this was a special book, mm. and um, and very different from all her other books. And then another book that we published recently um, called *Margaret* by Lee Battersby, mm -hmm. and it's, it's a very unusual book about um, of this. I can't get on an almost out way the, the ending then about a graveyard setting actually about a girl in, who is brought up in a in a graveyard and um and she takes care of this baby very unusual voice very unusual story mm. but it's almost fable like but again as soon as I started reading this I just thought we have to publish this and that's a really exciting time when you find that gem that just stands out and and um, and you can you never it's always where you least expect it often. Yeah. So if you if you saw that voice and perhaps there wasn't, you know, I guess what I what I think people are, are also interested to know is what makes you pass on a book. Like sometimes I, yeah. think, you know, in the sense of, do you see the same mistakes over and over again? I mean, is it, you know, if the voice is there, will you work with someone to kind of bring everything else up, or how, you know, how much work is a publisher willing to do? I suppose with a person. I think that varies greatly from publisher to publisher. At, uh, at Walker Books, we were quite um, willing and happy to work with an author if we thought um, that the, there was something special 
there. Um, and we do, you know, we have, we do work quite um, long and hard with our authors through lots of different revisions and, and to and challenge them and, and um, to get the very best out of every story. But I think, you know, those ones that you might pass on, that it, I often used to talk about the almost, and they used to break my heart. I think they used to break my heart as a writer because you, you know how hard people work um, on their on their writing and their stories, and some of them they might be have been writing for years, and and they they they're good, but they, they just don't quite get over the line for whatever reason. And and I the advice I usually give authors is that you know try not to be the almost that when you when you submit your work, try to make sure you've got everything covered. Don't think, oh, it's all, that ending's almost right. But, you know, or, or, you know, I know I need some work in the middle, but it's nearly there. Or I know that there's too many characters, but they can be edited out. You know, the, don't give the editor the chance to have doubts. So, um, I, you know, voice obviously is the most important thing because it's very hard to fix or change voice so if the voice isn't speaking to the to me as a reader that would be you know I would really want to it has to be a really interesting idea mm. and for me to pursue that because it, that that can go terribly wrong sometimes because you, you, you can't sometimes you just can't change that mm. but if it's a plot or character or or length or pacing or something like that those things are easier to fix but if you're you know, you don't. It's very competitive, and you, you just want to try to do your best not to give the editor any doubt. Because when you get a manuscript that you have, you you know want to publish, you have other people you have to convince. You're its first champion, yeah. and so you know you have to be really confident that this is you know is worthy, and this is something that any problems there can be fixed. And if it's a new author, it's it's a bit you don't know that. Bit more dicey. Bit more dicey. So, as a writer, are you working on different projects all the time, or do you focus just on one thing until you get it as right as you think it can be? Um, well, it varies from time to time. At, at you know, different times, I'll have um, different works. You know, working on different things at the same time. At the moment, um, I'm concentrating on one one novel that I'm writing and uh, and I have another novel that I'm sort of notebooking and when I finished work I thought I wasn't quite sure which one I was going to go with, one that I'd already started mm. but this other new shiny idea that I was really liking and um, and I wasn't really quite sure what I was, what I was going to do but I've ended up um, working on the one that I had already started and really pleased that I did because it's it's a hard book to write um, but I'm enjoying the challenge and so yes I'm focusing all my energy on that particular work at the moment and then I suppose any other ideas that come I just sort of jot them down and I have a whole range of different notebooks for different purposes on my desk and so it gets the you know gets sort of jotted down in a notebook um, accordingly and sort of put aside for the time being because I do want to really work hard to get this first draft finished and then I think I can sort of diversify and, and write a few different things okay because it is very easy to get distracted by the shiny new idea isn't it like it's they always oh, it so is. much more interesting they do because it's all new and and shiny and um and you want to explore it and 
it's it seems easier I think I think when you get you know sort of halfway into a novel and you know you can see all the problems a lot more and the things that you need to fix and it becomes harder and harder so when a shiny new idea comes it's like oh that's that could be even a better idea (laughs) (laughs) let's do some research on that one because that's at the beginning and it's all exciting and like a new relationship and and uh, let's go for that but yes I'm trying to finish this one which I think I will do because I think I'm invested I've got to that point of no return it's you know you yeah, I mean, yeah, I have to see this one to the end, no matter what. Whether anyone might only be myself or my agent, whoever reads it, that doesn't matter, I'm going to finish it. <laughs> right. So do you have a preference for the, as far as the age group that you like writing for the most? Uh, no, but I wish I did because it would be, it'd be a lot easier, I think, as far as career-wise because mm. I write picture books right up to young adults, mm. and so, um, which is great for things like, school visits because I'm one of those people that can go, you know, into high schools and preschools and, you know, so my speaker's agent at the children's book um, shop really likes it because I can do all these different um, age groups. But as far as, you know, selling books and getting a profile and people knowing you as um, a writer of, you know, middle grade fiction or picture books or whatever, when you write across so many age groups, it it dilutes that a little bit. Um, so at the moment, I I feel like I want to uh, concentrate on sort of that primary, sort of upper primary age. Right. Okay. And the book I'm writing at the moment, sort of upper primary, lower secondary, that yep. the one, the shiny one, <laughs> book, is uh, is probably more primary school, and I really like that age group. But I just really I follow wherever the ideas take me, right. and I you know so I have a couple of picture books sort of in the works and and I know that I'll forever just be doing all different age groups because I think that's just how my brain works yeah, yeah. I just follow that idea mm. do you um I mean each just on the picture books and and the, you know writing for different age groups like each section of the market brings its own challenges um yes. age group wise do you do you think it's true that picture books are among the most difficult texts to get right or because that's often something that people talk about a lot, you know, oh, picture book text is, you know, so difficult, um, much more difficult than doing other longer texts. Would you agree with that? Like you write all the different things, so you would know. Yes. <laughs> I think they are. Yes. I think I, I love picture books. I think they're my first love um, as far as books go. And my, definitely my first crush with children's literature. I fell in love with picture books first. And they're a wonderful art form, but they are very—they are very hard to get right, and they're very. I mean, there's only about 500, 600 words, and you have to tell a complete story, and and also tell it in a way that is a bit poetic, not necessarily rhyming, but mm. um, you know, it has to have a particular rhythm and and a particular voice. And you have to think about the illustration and the page turn, and everything has to, you know, that every word has to earn its keep, and it's and it's very hard to do that over, you know, to tell a really riveting story over five hundred words. I mean, you can there's, you know, sometimes it can be less than that too, but it, it's really coming up with that unique idea and telling it in a way that that no one has ever done it before, because there's so many picture books that. Are the same story. Mm. You're just told with a different character almost, mm. and those ones that really stand out are the ones that 
tell a different story that haven't been told or tell it in such a unique way. And I think that's getting increasingly more difficult mm. um, with time, you know, to come up with that really unique idea and to and to make it work. So while, you know, the first draft of a picture book, you know, generally takes a lot less time than the first draft of a novel, but uh, there's a lot of refining, refining, refining after that. And it, um, and it is hard, I think, to get a publisher interested. There's a lot of investment in a picture book mm, okay. from the publisher. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier, we, you talked about the, your speaker's agency and the fact that you do a lot of school visits and presentations and things yeah. like that. How important do you think it is for a children's author to get out and about? Well, I think I think it's very important. I don't think if you're a, you know an aspiring author or if you are a children's author and you don't you know see yourself as a speaker or, or want to get in front of kids and do school visits, I don't think it you know it's, that's the worst thing. You know, there's there's worse things, but I think it does help. I think uh, I think it certainly helps to get out and about and to get your books in the hands of kids because unless you are one of those very few best-selling authors that are in, you know, your books are in all channels and they're advertised and everyone knows your name, like Andy Griffiths, who's mm. fan, you know fantastic. Um, you know, there's a very few few Australian authors that sort of are at that level that. Mm. The kids will say, I want a book by so-and-so. And most of the books, uh, most of the authors, their books would be, um, you know, a hand sell. Mm. You know, a bookstore has to know it and it has to be a hand sell. And that's getting becoming increasingly difficult because there's less independent bookshops. Mm. You know, you're lost online. And, you know, if you're not on that first front page, you're lost unless yeah. someone knows your book. So getting out to, you know, to schools and talking to the kids and getting them to know your books uh, is probably one of the best ways to to help um, people get to know, to go to look, you know, on Booktopia or wherever um, for your book, or to go to, you know, to ask for that particular book, you know, because as you know, books aren't in bookstores for very long, you know, three months if you're lucky. Yeah. So, uh, but they are still available, but people have to know know your books and that's and I think it's one of the only ways to do that really is to get out into the schools and and to you know to to tell your stories tell the kids tell the and kids. it's fun it is yeah fun. I love it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so you also have a website which um, is is quite comprehensive like there's a lot of resources and there's you know a lot of information and things like that there and you have an occasional blog are you like from the perspective of both writer and a former publisher like, do you think that that's also important as far as discoverability is concerned, that, that sort of idea of, you know, being visible online as well? Yes, I think it is important. And um, my website is out of date, but one of my jobs in my new life is to, is to get my website and my blog and all these things all happening together in a better way. Yeah. And, um, and, and I do think it's important. I don't think necessarily you know, leads to great sales or anything like that. But that discoverability is really important. And I think people forever, um, you know, if they hear your name or if they see a book they like, the first thing they do is they go into Google and they, they want to know more. Yes. And if you don't have those places where they can say, oh, okay, she's done lots of books or, oh, okay, she does this, um, I think just 
puts a little doubt in people's minds. So I think it, it, it is really becoming increasingly important. And I know as a publisher, authors that haven't had an online presence, particularly when it's with young adult audiences, I think it's really because the, your readership really engage in that space as well. And the you know young adult authors who don't have um, that presence, it's really hard for them. Mm-hmm. And the ones who do can really get a lovely fan base through, you know, Twitter and Instagram and and so forth. And that's that's great because that's what you really, really, really want, particularly for those young adult ones, is to is to get that fan base because once you've got young um, people talking about your book anything can happen. <laughs> the raving fan base, exactly what everyone yes. wants, right? <laughs> yes. Well, a really good example of that is um, Rachel Craw, who is a New Zealand author, and we um, Walker Books published her first book, which is one of the, I think we're up to the third book in this, this series. Start off with Spark, and then Australian Shield is coming up. And she had never been on uh, social media before, her book came out, but she was just so natural with it, and um, and the books are great as well. But as a new author, and also from New Zealand, so that's a little bit harder in the Australian market as well. But mm. she has developed such a lovely fan base, and they, they call themselves the Spark Army, mm. and they are so loyal. You know, <laughs> they, they, they they are fantastic, and it really has had an impact on sales. So, so there's a, a good news story. I know. Wouldn't you love to have a yeah, the Spark Army, and that and that was just spontaneous, and it's just taken off, and now you know it's growing and growing. <laughs> Fantastic, Granola. Mm. Um, all right, well, we're we're sort of reaching the end of our chat, which has come up quite quick. Well, feels quickly, but um, so we have to um ask you our famous last question, which is, what are your top oh, yes. tips for aspiring authors? Oh, top three tips. Um, well, I think first of all, I think what we're talking about before is writing daily. I think that's really important. Um, it doesn't really matter what you write. It doesn't necessarily have to be your working progress. But I think it, writing should become a habit and should become part of you. And it is a craft and it does need to be perfected and you can only do that if you practice it. Mm. I think it was um, Jodie Bacot, is that how you say her name? Oh, um, who, wrong, so I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> I should, as soon as I started to say her name, I thought, oh, I shouldn't have said that because I didn't say her name. Oh, I Jody can spell P. it, but I can't say it. <laughs> Jody P., I think, um, who said something along the lines of that you should um, write daily and that you should write until um, your writing becomes a muscle that you can flex on command. Mm-hmm. And I know that's what I had to do when I was writing Portraits of Selena, and it really works. So I, I think that that's, that discipline and that writing every day is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's number one. That's Let's one. see. You're off to a I think start. <laughs> what about, um, I think you should write from your heart hmm. and be really honest in your writing. And, um, and lots of people, you know, ask the question, what's the latest trend? What should I be writing? And that's the worst thing that you, sh- you can do, I believe, as a writer, is to try to follow the current trend in particular because by the time you finish the thing, of course, the trend's long gone. And it's also, it's not going to be true to you. I think the best writing is when it 
you write something that's true to you and that way your unique voice can come through and you have something to say and you might start a trend. And I think if you try to follow a trend, say, oh, everyone's writing dystopian, I'll have to write a dystopian um, novel. If that's not something that really interests you and that's not your thing or you don't have a really strong idea that's just come to you that just happens to be dystopian, I think it comes across as fake and forced mm. and, I, and very rarely does it work. Mm. So I think you really need to be honest, write the story of your heart, the one that really is important to you and like the book that I'm writing now, I mean, I'm quite, I was quite serious. I thought, I don't really know who wants to want to read this. It's a really sad story mm. but it's the one that I have to write for whatever reason. I've got this idea. I have to see it through and it's the, it's the book of my heart at the moment mm. and you sort of hope that they're the ones that will come across as being, you know, strong and authentic and true. So, writing from the heart. <laughs> I've got three readers now, I'm myself, ready, my agent ready. and Alison. Yes, it through immediately. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. And tip three? Um, uh, tip three, let me see. Um, okay, well, obviously, I think you need to read widely and and reading the, the genre that you're interested in and if and if you're writing for children in the age group like that you're interested in and read books of that are current as well as books that you loved as a child. Mm. Um and but when you're reading I think you should try to read like a writer. So it's not just reading and enjoying. That's you know, I'm sure most writers are readers anyway and they read widely. But I think you need to read as a writer. So if you read something and you think, Oh, that was quite dull Start asking, you know, be curious, ask questions. Why was it dull? What did the author do that put me to sleep? Mm. And the opposite, you know, oh, that was a fabulous thing. You know, my heart was in my, my throat the whole way through. Go back and look and say, how did the writer achieve that? What did the writer do to achieve that? So, you know, reading and, th as, and think like a writer as you're reading so you can see the, the ways that um, the writer solves the problems and, and how they get that mood or how that character is you know, described in, in three words and just and nailed. So I always keep a little notebook when I'm reading. Well, not always, but often. And if there's anything that just really sings to me, I just write it down. And I hardly ever go back to it, but it just I think they just sort of impregnate in your mind a little bit and, and the things that really speak to you. And I think reading like a, a writer is a really important thing to do. <laughs> Three, done. Well done. That was excellent. I was absorbed. And, and I've also got a manuscript to read, so I've done really well out of it. <laughs> All right, Sue. So I'll well... have to finish it first. <laughs> um... <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Um, Thank fantastic you. And welcome to the Australian Writers' Centre presenting team. We're very, very excited to have you. And I think that um, people who are doing your courses, which you're currently doing writing for children and young young adults, correct, online? Yes, that's that correct, start? yes. yes. Um, I, would, I just, you know, I'm thinking about signing up myself, frankly. I think it'll be great. So, <laughs> I think you're fine. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, I'm excited to be part of the Australian Writers' Centre too, so it's a really nice. It's something a little bit different for me and yeah. um, using my skills in a different way, which is not always a nice challenge. Yeah, fantastic. All right, well, welcome aboard and um, we look forward to seeing you. what you do next. And you too. Oh, oh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, Alison. I hope you enjoyed the interview. 
I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series for kids aged nine plus. There are four books in the Mapmaker Chronicles series, Race to the End of the World, Prisoner of the Black Hawk, Breath of the Dragon, and Beyond the Edge of the Map, and two in my latest series, The Adaban Cipher, The Book of Secrets, and The Book of Answers. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. It's funny listening to Sue talk about how clueless she reckons she was because now she's one of the most knowledgeable and talented children's writers in Australia. But it just goes to show everyone starts somewhere. It's good to keep in mind when you're at the beginning of your writing journey. Sue also talked about squeezing in writing time whenever she could. You know, just 20 minutes each morning on the train was enough to write her young adult novel, Portrait of Selena. Up until recently, Sue was working full-time in publishing, as well as working on her own successful writing career, proving once again that if you want to find the time to write, you have to make the time. Sue also talked about the particular challenges that come with writing picture books. Not only do you need to tell a compelling story in 500 words, you have to think about the rhythm and the illustrations, and you need to do it in a unique way. I also liked Sue's tip about reading like a writer. Okay, you don't want it to be a chore, but if something strikes you as good or bad, when you're reading it, then note it down. You can always, always be learning something new. Do you want to explore your children's book idea under the guidance of Sue or under the guidance of one of our other talented presenters? Then be sure to check out the online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults. This is the ideal course for anyone who wants to write fiction for 8 to 18-year-olds. So go to writercentre.com.au slash children's author. That's writercentre.com.au slash children's author.